0: Everyone, welcome to the Product Experience Podcast. I'm Lily Smith.
1: And I'm Randy Silver, and together we make...
0: Uh, the best of friends who never see each other.
1: That's exactly what I was thinking. And today's episode is all about working
0: together without actually being in the same room, which can be pretty tricky. But we have one of the best qualified people to speak on this subject. Amir Saliafendic is the CEO and founder of Doist, the company behind the hugely successful apps Todoist and Twist.
1: Amir was talking to us from his Chilean home whilst navigating his small kid's minor interruptions and some pretty tricky internet service. So even the top pros struggle a little. Let's hear from Amir. Lovely
0: rhyming, Randy.
1: Great alliteration, Lily.
0: I know, right, we're so in tune.
1: The product experience is part of the Mind the Product network. Every week, we talk to the best product people from around the globe about how we improve our practice.
0: Aside from conferences in London, San Francisco, Singapore, Hamburg, and Manchester, there's also free product tanks in more than 185 cities, and there's probably one near you.
1: Find out about them on mindtheproduct.com, where you can also catch up on past episodes, videos from the conferences, read great articles, and learn about the training that we do. Amir, thank you so much for joining us today. Uh, For anyone who doesn't know you or doesn't know uh, the background of Todoist and and Doist the company, can you just give us a quick background?
2: Sure. Well, I'm first of all uh, happy to be here. And, uh, you know, we started like this company uh, almost like 10 years ago in uh, Santiago, Chile. And we have been like fully remote since then uh, with about like 70 people spread in I think over 30 different countries. So it's kind of like uh, something we call remote first, uh, like without any headquarters, uh, without an office. uh, And we have been doing this for many years and, you know, for us, it's kind of like, not only, you know, the way we work, we actually want more people to join us in this. And of course, like we didn't really think that, you know, like a virus would (laughs) accelerate this process but also like make this much more stressful for people. Like usually remote work is a lot better than, you know, what people are practicing right now. Yeah. So uh, that's about it. And we do like two products. One is to it's one of the most popular to do apps. And the other one is twist, which is basically asynchronous team communication app.
1: Yeah so before we get into anything I'm just curious how are you and the team all coping I know this is this is uh you're used to working remotely but this is a little bit different
2: yeah I mean you can see in the background my my daughter is uh, crying so I have like a, a, a four year old uh, or four months old daughter and a three year old son uh, so honestly like you know working from home uh, is really really challenging especially in these conditions yeah um, so like even for me like as a pro the remote pro like this isn't really the best environment and uh, it's very hard to kind of like concentrate uh, it's very hard to kind of like find stretches of time where you can just like do some deep work uh, yeah so usually actually like in my old, like a normal plan uh, I have like the day plan like nicely you know um, so I I quite enjoy it and right now I think like everybody's kind of just like trying to cope and, like, uh, adapt to, like, the, the stressful situation that, that everybody's in. Yeah, of course, like, we do have, like, some advantages inside a company. Like, we ha- we are used to work in, like, a fully remote environment, so our processes, uh, communication style, is kind of optimized towards that. And honestly, like, for people without kids, I think it's a pretty good deal. Like, uh, yeah, so, and with kids, I think it becomes mm. much, much more difficult. Yeah.
0: So how are you um, supporting the staff or how are the how are your staff kind of supporting each other um, with the bits that are more complicated or more difficult, like, for instance, the challenges of working with kids at home?
2: Yeah. I mean, honestly, like some of the stuff that we have. Uh, so, like, right now we have kind of, like, just uh, said to people that it's okay, you know, to not do your best work. Like, we understand that. And also, like, to, you know, take as much time off you, as you need. Uh, and be, like, understandable of that. Um, But even, like, in the normal circumstances, like, the thing with us is, like, we don't really have work hours, uh, so people can kind of work whenever they want uh, in, like, normal sense. And right now, like, it's even, like, more optional. Um, So I think, like, from the company's perspective, it's really, like, understanding that, you know, you can't really be your best in this type of situation. And especially, like, if you combine this with, like, the stress and anxiety, that, that, like, this virus creates, you know, then I think it's quite understandable. Um, and then from the company perspective, they're also quite open about this, and we had, like, had, like different, like, threats uh, about, like, tips on, for instance, how to work with kids at home. That, and people shared, like, a lot of stuff that they, they did, and even, yeah. like, games and, and stuff like that. Uh, yeah. But honestly, I think, like, for, for everybody, it's kind of, like, hard uh, hard situation especially I think like you know one thing is like uh, being alone uh, maybe with your partner and the other thing is like being alone with your partner and your kids I, I think like there's like, a spectrum of complications that come into this uh, yeah
0: and and have you seen it change the way that the team is working
2: uh, honestly like it has really surprised me how productive people are um you know, and the reason I think is it's kind of like very, like people are just bored, you know, they are just at home and like this, you know, you can like watch Netflix for a few days, but <laughs> it doesn't <laughs> become like a very, so uh, yeah, I mean, we are actually quite productive even with all of this like craziness going on. And I think it was like some people are maybe just like using work as like a, you know, way to escape reality or like, a, you know, because, it's kind of like the stable part, you know, it's kind of like something you're used to for many years. Uh, so you go there and then like everything else is just like, on fire but like, you know, you can do your like development or design work uh, or whatever else like people <laughs> do. So it's kind of, honestly, it's kind of like surreal and we even had like some releases here where, you know, we we're kind of like releasing something and we we're kind of like, okay, like, you know, people are dying and we are like promoting like a thing that maybe the bigger picture does not really matter that much. But, you know, I think it's also, it's very hard to kind of like balance this out mm-hmm. and, like, find a way to actually how how to actually promote these things, uh, you know, because also, like, our normal life also needs to go on at some point. Like, we can't just like let this virus take a toll on us, uh, because then I think like, we'll first begin, you know, to, uh, to lose, like,
1: uh, yeah. So, You you built uh, Duist from the beginning as a remote company. Why? What what was the spur for that?
2: Um, I mean, honestly, I was living in, like, Santiago, Chile at that point, and I needed to hire, like, designers and mobile developers. And there was, like, nobody uh, that matched, like, the the requirements I had. Uh, So the only natural thing was just, like, hire from the world and, like, find, you know grew really great people outside of that. So that was kind of the, the you know, the reason. And honestly, like I have kind of grown up on the internet. Uh, so for me, it kind of just like felt very natural. Uh, and even my past company, which was like a social network, I co-founded that with like a a person from uh, Canada, another one from Malaysia. Um, and we only worked uh, remote as well. And this was like in 2007. Um, yeah, so for me, it was just like natural, you know, that there
1: was like no uh, bigger plans. Yeah. I'm curious as people, you re- you started off recruiting uh, people remotely because you had the need, uh, but you've kept it that way over the years. You've never felt the need to, to start an office. You must have built up an interesting way of onboarding people. So, and not everyone, I'm guessing, had already uh, previous experience of working remotely what's the biggest challenge for someone what's the hardest thing for them to adjust to when they join the company
2: yeah um i mean that's a really hard question and honestly i think like hiring and onboarding are one of the like hardest challenges inside maybe any company and especially for remote companies um so something i think like that's quite critical for for a company is kind of to have core values or like things that, that, uh, that the company values and make this like very explicit. Um, so for instance, for us, it's things like communication, mastery. Um, it's uh, kind of like ambition and balance. Those are kind of like just the, 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 a few of the core values that we have. Um, and this is like also reflected in like everything that we do and also like the way that we write about ourselves and stuff like that. So like the core values are not like only, you know, like these things that you have like written down somewhere, and nobody really looks at. It's kind of like just like it infiltrates the whole like uh, company and the people inside it. Um, so, so I think that's quite critical to have that makes uh, onboarding much easier because people, new people, actually know what they need to optimize for and like what is expected of them. Um, so, another thing is maybe also just like documentation, and honestly, like we have been really bad at this. Um, I wish we were like uh, more proactive sooner about this. Uh, So something like a handbook, uh, you know, where you actually tell people how you work together, how you communicate, how you organize yourself, Um, you know, and even like stuff like payroll and like perks and, you know, taxes or whatever else like you need to have. Uh, like make that accessible via handbook. And I think like one of the best handbooks I have seen is like GitLab's handbook, Uh, Basecamp has also one. And we are also like building our own now and I hope we can make it public. Um, And those are some of the stuff and like, um, you know, for a new person, like they need to go in and like just be able to absorb a lot of like information and figure out how the company works. Another thing about our company as well and also some of the other remote first company is, like, we are incredibly transparent. Um, so inside Dust, there's only a few private channels. Uh, even, like, the leadership discussion is, like, all public. Um, like, everybody has also access to all of our numbers. Uh, you know, like, there's nothing almost hidden. Like, the only thing that actually is, is hidden are the salaries, and that's maybe also a mistake. Um So that means also like a new person can basically go in and like access any kind of information they want. They can also access any kind of code they want or like design project they want. So it's really like a transparency on a whole new level. And I think that's also very important for like remote onboarding. It's kind of like, you know, if you're very restrictive, then people will just like need to go in and get permissions to access stuff. And that is just like uh, not really that good, especially like if you work across time zones. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, it's like a whole subject on its own, like the onboard. I could speak about that for an hour. <laughs> but, yeah.
1: Okay. But you just touched on something else. You make almost everything open. Um, I'm guessing there's, you know, you've got, you're not a small company at this point. There's a lot of com- communication. There's a lot of information that's going across the transom every day. How do you deal with the amount of noise and keep, uh, keep up to date with things and understand what's important and what's relevant and what you can let go of?
2: Yeah. I mean, the thing is like, we do have the twist, um, communication app that we build ourselves. And honestly, like inside that, we probably have like over 1.5 million unique messages, you know, for like 70 uh, people. That's, <laughs> that's a lot. Um, luckily something that's really good about twist is kind of like it's very good at like segmenting or like um the communication streams so not like it's not really like a chat room where everybody is just like notified about everything you kind of create threads and notify only specific like people or teams about a thing so most people actually don't really have access or like get pinged about everything it's only like if you want to go into the leadership team, you can actually see what they are uh, like speaking about, but like you won't get notified on email or like mobile push about that. So that's at least like how we are controlling that. Uh, But honestly, like even with like a really great tool, like our own tool, uh, like I think informational load is a huge problem. Uh, And I can like even imagine like if you have a, a more like chat, like system, like Slack, where you basically have a lot of like public channels, like, you know, I think people would be very overwhelmed in that environment.
0: And do you have a way of kind of understanding when people are getting overwhelmed with too much information? You know, if it's a a new person to the company, um, do you have a way of like checking in with them to make sure they're not getting too distracted or too lost in, in everything that's going on?
2: Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, one of our core values is kind of like independence, so we kind of expect people to, you know, self-regulate against this and, you know, speak up when right. they are looped in, into too much. So basically like in our environment, mm-hmm. it's also like very important that people can self-manage uh, themselves and their teams. Um, so I think that's quite like important skill to have in a remote environment. Like maybe in some environment you don't need it, but like I think especially in remote, uh, you you do need that. Um, yeah. yeah. So, Uh, Yeah, we don't really have, like, check-ins about that specifically, but, like, every new person that joins has, like, a mentor that kind of, like, you know, can handhold them through the process and that they can speak. I think they speak either, like, weekly or bi-weekly, and and see how things are going and stuff like that.
0: So you you mentioned that kind of self-managing is a really important aspect to the team that you have. Is there anything else you look for in your employees that indicate that they would be really good remote workers, or anything that you kind of look for that indicates that they wouldn't be good <laughs> remote workers?
2: Um, you know, like in our environment, like communication and independence are are two critical. I think like core uh, skills that people need to master, especially like written communication. Um, that is quite important. You know, especially like how we do it. Like the thing. About us, is like a lot of our communication is just like written communication. Um, we do very few meetings. Uh, and, you know, some of the other remote first companies does the same thing. While you have like some others that are just like inside Zoom rooms all day long. Um, so that's definitely like not ours. Uh, so for, for us, it's kind of like uh, really critical, like the written communication.
1: So, how do you know when it's the right time to have a meeting? When do you need synchronous communication instead of async?
2: Yeah. Um, so the, the thing about us is like we have actually tried different uh, approaches to this, um, and the approach that doesn't really work either is kind of like going hundred percent asynchronous because you lose like some like human you know touch uh, by doing that because we are not really. Robots like we are not optimized to you know only uh, communicating text. Um, so where we actually do those, it's kind of like in uh, like weekly meeting uh, calls with the team. Those are like always like uh, you know Zoom calls or one-on-one calls with people that are always also done in um, in, in like a Zoom call. Uh, and then another thing we we do as well is like if you need to provide some, some strong feedback or like feedback in general, uh, especially like if it's negative, then it's much better to do it in in person, like over a call than actually in text because text, you know, it can kind of be very ambiguous. So yeah, those, those are some, some of the tips. And honestly, like inside this, uh, we probably do like 70% asynchronous and then 30% synchronous communication,
1: yeah. Amir, you were saying that, especially if you're giving bad news, uh, it's better to do it in person. I totally agree on that. But does that mean in your culture that when your boss call, uh, sends you a <laughs> note saying, "Hey, we need to have a meeting," it's is that necessarily a bad sign? <laughs> uh, uh, not
2: necessarily, not necessarily, but maybe. You know, the the thing is, uh, you, you know, you can also provide great feedback uh, using a call. And also, like, we do have, like, a lot of one-on-ones with people. Uh, and there you, like, try – like, we also have something we practice or try to practice kind of radical candor. Uh, I'm not sure if you've read the book uh, on, like, radical candor. But that's something that we try to do. So, like, both positive and negative. And, uh, you know, goal is basically to help the other person, like, become better at what they do.
1: One of the things I've noticed in, in- – Places I've been when I've moved to a new house or to a new country or even a, a new job, there's usually that period of initially being incredibly excited. And when someone goes remote for the first time and starts working with you, uh, it's an exciting new way of working. And then you get to a point where you're like, oh, some of this is just different. Some Some of this is much better. Some of this is a little bit worse. Do you see people hitting a wall like that a uh, couple of months in and just having a, a – and if so, what is it that causes them to to hit that point, do you think?
2: Yeah, honestly, like if you look at the stats and also like some surveys that are done like real remote workers and not like people that are forced to do it, um, uh, uh, you know, <laughs> like our employee retention is kind of like over 90%. In the last like 10 years so almost nobody actually leaves um so i'm pretty sure you know like and the same thing is applied to like other companies like Basecamp or buffer or gitlab uh like it's really high retention uh, rates for the employees um uh, so of course like once you get in you like it's not really especially if you're never working in a remote environment it's probably not all like pina coladas on the beach and you know like uh Relaxing and, and stuff like that. Like it's still hard work, um, but I think like something that people really appreciate. It's kind of just like the flexibility and freedom it gives people. So you can basically, like, you know, plan your days as as you like, um, and you can also like work with the people that uh, that are really good and that are passionate about the stuff they are working on, um, and that's also something we screen for. Um, uh, so in general, like. You know, we have not really had an experience where somebody just, like, goes in and say, oh, my God, this this is really horrible. Like, uh, <laughs> at least, like, they don't really tell us this. Um We did have, like, some episodes, especially for maybe, like, junior uh, people that want to learn a lot. Um I think, like, if you're kind of more junior, then, like, remote environment isn't really the best way to start because usually, like, if you're like, a junior developer, you need a lot of, like pinging, you need to have, like, somebody by your side. You can just, like, ask questions. Uh, and in a real environment, especially, like, ours, asynchronous, you know, you can wait, like, 24 hours for an answer. Uh, so that can, like, block you a lot. Um, so I think definitely, like, maybe that's kind of, like, the, the struggle is kind of, like, more on the junior level. But I think, like, if you're very experienced uh, and you know your stuff, like, it's really a, a great environment to, to be, you know.
0: And do you ever get the whole team together f- for the development of those personal connections? Um, because there's, you know, there's no alternative.
2: Uh, yeah, so actually we do like a company wild retreats every year and we have done them like the last many years. Actually, this year we got our retreat canceled due to the virus. We had one planned in Singapore in April, which is basically like came over now. Um, and those are amazing. Like, you know, it's so, like, it's worth every penny. Uh, like, it's very expensive to fly, fly people around the world, uh, but it's, like, you know, it's very energizing because you don't meet people that often, and when you meet them, it's kind of like magic happening. Um, so people are, like, very, very, very happy about those. Uh, and recently, I think, like, the last two years, we have also in- introduced team retreats, so basically, like, teams can organize their own retreats and they have then done it like to Montreal, Budapest, Amsterdam, I don't know, like a, a bunch of cities where they went to. Um, so, yeah, I still think like even as a remote-first company, you need to meet people and, you know, have a drink with them and have some some a like, great dinner with them and just like meet them as a person. Uh, yeah.
0: And one of the massive challenges that you guys have that's maybe potentially different to other remote companies is the fact that you're globally distributed um you don't just have the kind of the remote but you have the different time zones as well and you've mentioned the sort of asynchronous um communication but how how does that kind of practically work
2: I mean practically it means that um, a lot of our our communication is kind of like deeper in in length and also just like substance, so it's not like one liners that you send around. Because the problem is like, if I send like a message to somebody like in Taiwan, they are sleeping now, uh, and you know uh, I will not have like a real time communication with them. So when I actually deliver a message, it needs to have like all the context, like all like you know the the meaning embedded inside them inside it so that's basically how how we communicate is basically like in long like long format messages and even stuff like uh like for instance if you want to present an idea like uh you will actually maybe like brew on it for a week and then present it it's not like you know uh, like uh, you know I have like an idea I just like begin to chat and then uh, brainstorm to like a solution uh, it's more like you just like lock yourself and like really think deep and write it down, maybe in like a Google doc or paper doc and then share it with people. And then the same thing is with the feedback is, you know, you don't expect feedback in the next 10 minutes. Like people will maybe delay for a day for two uh, while they actually like also ponder about it and then write uh, it back. So it's kind of like a very different environment from like this chit chat uh, environment. And also just like meetings, we don't do like, you know, brainstorm sessions and like, you know, stuff like that. I don't don't actually believe that the best ideas are made in those kind of environments. But I also know that it's controversial because some people think best, you know, in these type of scenarios, Uh, yeah.
0: It sounds like it's a very disciplined way of working and also very different to kind of natural communication where you might, you know, naturally just start talking before you've thought an idea through or... Um, I now find myself doing that in WhatsApp and, and Slack all the time and kind of almost having a conversation with myself before the other person <laughs> realises that I'm talking to them. Um. So, yeah, it's, re- it's really, really interesting. I wonder, you know, once you kind of experience that and experience that discipline, whether you can go back to any other way of working.
2: Yeah, I think it's, it, it, I mean, it will be hard for people, especially because, I mean, for me personally, like, um, real-time communication, especially like, you know, chat, like introduce actually a lot of stress um, mm. uh, because that's not really the environment that I thrive in. Like I thrive in like, you know, thinking deep about a problem for a day and then writing it down and then sharing that. Um, so maybe like also the people that we actually hired are also more optimized towards that uh, kind of like environment. Uh, yeah. And honestly, like, you know, Uh, maybe it's not really for everybody as well. So I think like um, personality types plays a role in this,
1: yeah. You said you do a bit of optimization for this during the hiring process. How do you ensure that you're getting people who are built for this type of communication, this type of interaction?
2: We check that their writing is like really crisp and they can kind of like articulate an idea in like a a simple way. Uh, So, you know, if we... And we do like a test project. So if somebody is not really doing that, then it's kind of like a huge red flag for us.
0: Going back to kind of the actual, the purpose of Todoist, there are so many different project management and task management applications out there. Why did you just choose to, to make one? And how is Todoist different? And is there something in the way that you all work that means that you're kind of bringing that to the, the culture of Todoist as an application? Yeah,
2: um, I mean, honestly like, I will give you like our secret sauce for making apps. Like we actually make apps for ourselves. Uh, so <laughs> that's kind of like a Todoist, like you know, I started to do that for myself. It was basically like a personal project. Like I never actually managed it, like imagined that it would be like a business or even like a pl- employ a lot of people. And the same thing with twist is like twist isn't, you know, some kind of like market research we have done and said, you know, the world needs this asynchronous tool. It's more like, okay, we have like a really huge problem using Slack. It's making everybody stressful. Let's see if there's anything on the market that solves this. No, there isn't. Like everybody's just like copying Slack. So we're just like, okay, let's just do our own uh, thing. So that's basically how we do that. And I think that shows probably also like, in the products, like we care deeply about this. So it's not like, you know, like it's kind of like a part of your soul is like embedded into that. And that's like the feeling that, that, uh, so like whenever you discuss something mm. that's kind of from that perspective, it's not like, you know, let's do some like user group testing or like user research to figure out like what we need to fix here or like improve there. Of course, it's also like very dangerous because, you know, like maybe we are just like a very special breed of, of people and, uh, you know, uh, I think it's a dangerous way as well. So, of course, like, user feedback is really critical as well. So I'm not really uh, saying otherwise. Uh, uh, but just like in the early days, actually, that was not really the, the, the core point. It was just like personal um, need uh, for, for such a tool.
1: That was in the early days. What about now? Do you do uh, user research now as part of the way that you do ongoing development and prioritization?
2: I mean, honestly, like on today's like the user feedback we get is very, very, very overwhelming. So we basically get like thousands of messages from people. And like some of these messages, you know, it's like basically like PhD, you know, uh report on <laughs> what we need to <laughs> improve and fix. Uh So like I think once you reach like a, a certain mass of, of users, like feedback, actually the hardest part is kind of filtering and figuring out like what is actually critical and what isn't. Uh, and it started with like getting enough feedback because like we are just bombarded with this, so we have like I think thirteen people hired full time just like answering uh and supporting users um yeah, and on twist, I think it's more difficult, and honestly, like I think like product market fit um the thing is like most people they just want to be inside like slack rooms and chat rooms and like zoom calls all day, um so we're kinda of, like fighting against like this market we are in like most people are actually don't really know what asynchronous communication is or why they need it um so it feels Mm -hmm. like a lot harder like problem to tackle and there's like not a natural like market pool or like user pool that we have of course we do have like some passionate users but it's like on a much much smaller scale
0: so you've kind of um broken the golden rule of product development and that your user-centered design but very much focused on your own business in terms of building a product for yourselves you know and then going global with it so it's not like you even narrowed in on a particular market or or have you kind of narrowed in on a particular market but it seems like you went global very quickly compared to maybe some other businesses that would focus on a particular market before going more global
2: yeah, I mean, the thing the thing with us is, like, uh, we always try to kind of make generic tools that can use be used by anybody. Uh, so, for instance, like, Swiss is, like, one of the biggest, or maybe not the biggest, but, like, one of the large, large customers. It's kind of like the Communist Party of Norway. They are using it, you know, and we never really, like, imagined that, like, uh, something like that would actually be uh, useful for for organization like that. But that's very cool, like... And we also have, like, doctors using it. That's also something that we never really imagined. Um, and with this is the same. It's kind of like, you know, the use case is, like, incredible. Like, this, people are using it for all kinds of stuff. Um, yeah, and I think that's something, you know, I think, like, creating a generic tool is probably much harder than, than doing, like, a, a specific one for, like, a niche. Uh, but that's something that excites us because we really want to, like, kind of – operate on a global level and like really have a global impact with the tools that
1: we we create. I'd like to ask you a practical question about running a global company. Um, With so many companies, the salary bands are standardized based on where people are and it's totally different salary bands based on, on the location. But with you, you've got a real challenge in that uh, you can either benchmark it on any one place or no place or every place how do you handle that? What did? How do you deal with local expectations and potential differences in uh, relative locations and things like that?
2: Yeah, so I think that there's different philosophies on this. Um, so what we are kind of aiming at is, um, I mean, you know, some there's some extreme cases like Basecamp where they basically have one salary for the whole world, uh, like I think uh, pegged to like a, a U.S. salary. Uh, and some others like Gitlabs, which kind of are uh, very localized. So we have kind of tried to find like a, a middle ground. So basically for, for our, we have like it packed to the US, but then there's like a living cost uh, variable that can kind of like depend where you live because there's like huge difference, like living in like Copenhagen versus like living in like uh, some remote island of the world. Um So for us, it's kind of like it can affect the salary 30%. So you can kind of get 30% more or less depending on where you live. Um, And honestly, like there's some companies that are very like open about this, like GitLab, you have their formula accessible, Buffer as well. They have their formula accessible, Basecamp as well. Yeah, so uh, the way that I can see like this moving is basically global salary, uh, regardless of where you live and that's also something that we're going to try to optimize and just like pay people like the best salary there is and then it can pick where they want to live because obviously like the the economics of like software like can actually afford you that
0: so what would be i think we have time for one more so i'm going to ask a top tips question what would be your top tip um for our product people that are out there in the world for working remotely
2: That's uh, (laughs) I mean, honestly, I think like... uh, Apart from maybe
0: just using your tools.
2: uh, Yeah. But honestly, I think that's something that's very exciting and especially right now (laughs) with the acceleration is there's a lot of like um, innovation in this space. uh, And I'm pretty sure like we will see acceleration of innovation in the space. So for instance, like maybe for not for like product specific things, but even like product specific, I have seen like some road mapping tools that are really, like, real-time and really nicely made. But even something like Figma, you know, like, uh, or like, um, you know, even, like, something like uh, paper, uh, like Dropbox paper, uh, can make a huge difference. Uh, So what I would actually, like, just recommend is just, like, you know, be open to try new tools, new approaches, and and check it out and, like, try to incorporate them into your workflows. Because, honestly, like, I think we will see, like, an explosion of, like, just, like, Remote tools optimized for almost any kind of field product included.
0: Thanks, Amir. I think it's really fascinating to see how the world is having to adjust to remote working, and we're kind of being catapulted forward into the future by this um, global pandemic, which is just crazy and uh, yeah, very strange for everyone. But you know, there's opportunity in a in a crisis to change the way that we're working and um, and explore explore new ways. So it's great to hear from you. Thank you very much for joining us. And uh, yeah, take care.
2: Thank you. You as well. It was a pleasure to be here.
0: You know, I needed that. It's good to be reminded that you can work most of the time remotely and be really effective. And that there are some great examples out there for onboarding and things like that.
1: And that what we're doing now is not normal. Not what we're doing right now. I mean, recording the podcast, that's normal. (laughs) But working from home under pandemic conditions. That even people who are used to working remotely are having a hard time of it. So take it easy on yourself.
0: And remember to wash your hands. See you next week. The product experience is part of the Mind the Product Network. Our hosts are me, that's Lily Smith, and Randy Silver.
1: Emily Tate is our producer and Luke Smith is our editor. Emily is ours alone, but we're happy to share Luke if you need someone to edit your own podcast.
0: Hey, you can't share him too much. He's my husband. (laughs) (laughs) Our theme music is from Hamburg-based band PAU, that's P-A-U. Thanks to Arne Kittler, who runs Product Tank and MTP Engage in Hamburg and plays bass in the band for letting us use the music.
1: And sign up for your local Product Tank, a regular meetup in over 185 cities worldwide. There's probably one someone near you. And if there's not, you can start one yourself. To find out more, go to mindtheproduct.com slash Product Tank. Here's global coordinator Mark Abraham to tell you more about it. Product Tank is a global community of meetups in over 155 cities across the world,
2: driven by and for product managers whether you have a group discussion or you're listening to speakers the whole idea is to create a safe environment for product people to come together and to share their learnings and tips